Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. I'm Sean Flanagan. And we are the Ninja Turtle Nerds. We're a weekly podcast covering the Ninja Turtle comic books, one issue at a time. This week, we are talking about volume two, issue number six. Killer on the Loose is the name of the oh, story. Oh, so it does, okay, that's weird. Because my whole volume, and maybe this is because they're print to order, none of them in this volume have the titles. Well, it's obvious from, you know, the context of the story that this would be called Killer on the Loose. Well, obviously, I'm just, you know, I'm letting you know that if you get it physically, eh, they're not not listed. Interesting. So this story, it was by Jim Lawson, pencils by Jim Lawson. The cover was by A.C. Farley and... Different inker this time, though. This week, it's Eric Talbot on inks. We've seen his name before. Yep. Lettering by Mary Kelleher. And the colors by the same people that I've been saying all season. Mary Wood Woodring and Jim Woodring. Digicore Design Limited on the IDW reprint. And it's on so. Comixology and the beginning of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Classics Volume 9. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good issue. What did you what what was your overall impressions of the issue before we get deep into it? I'm just like I said in awe of the consistency of the quality really cuz with with you know such a small team and you know how fast they were trying to put this out after volume 1 I just I kind of expected it to fall apart and it it hasn't and that's amazing. Well those wheels are about to fall off. <laughs> We've got another month delay. Uh, this this month, this issue came out in August of 1994. So they took another month off last month's last issue was in June. Then we missed July and now we're in August of 94. There's somewhere in here. I think it's after issue eight where there's a giant gap between issues. It's like nine months or something like that. It, it gets crazy. And it's probably during those nine months that they decided, hey, we should sell our rights, or maybe they were holding off on if they sold the rights. I don't know, but it's crazy. See, now that we get into a delay, I just picture Jim Lawson locked in his office, and not even Kevin or Peter, just an intern at the door going, Hello, Mr. Lawson? Is the book ready? (laughs) (laughs) That was a perfect time for that dog to bark. Good job, Georgie. (laughs) Good comic timing, you. So, this book, it came out in August of 94. Let's take a look at what the world was like in August of 94. This month in entertainment. The movies that were out. We've got Clear and Present Danger. Classic. You know, I it sounds stupid, and I know it's because I've only ever like seen those on home video. But I never associate like any Tom Clancy movie with being theatrically released. <laughs> like I never yeah. wrote into somebody and they went, "Ah, oh, yeah, I went to clear and present danger." Is he Hunt for Red October? Yeah, that was definitely in theaters. Yeah. No, they were. It's just I, I. It's just one of those things where I never run into somebody who's like, "Oh yeah, you see that latest Tom Clancy movie?" So the Little Rascals was also out that month. I fell for that hook, line, and sinker. I remember loving that movie when it came out. I remember they did this whole promotional thing 
where they were like trying to get kids like back into the old Little Rascals. I think they were running them on like Nick at Night or something. Something where you'd watch old TV shows. And I was like, I was almost like, oh, I'm going to make this my thing. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the kid who knows everything about the Little Rascals. Because <laughs> it has so much history to it, you know. As your friend, I'm very happy you didn't go that route. I'm glad this is not the Little Rascals lads. The um, only thing I remember about the movie, the the one from 94, is one of the kids saying, I got a dollar, I got a dollar, I got a dollar, hey, 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 hey. That's all I remember. I think That's the whole plot. Buckwheat or stymie? Well, there's no way to know. We'll never know. I haven't seen that movie in like a hundred years now, so. No, me either. For all I know, it's like the greatest movie ever made or the worst movie ever made. I'm not going to even take the time to find out. Is there a go-kart race that's like part of the finale? I mean, it's 94. I think that it was a soapbox derby race. I think you're right. And that kid who always plays douchey rich kids plays the douchey rich kid. He had a type. Yep. (laughs) And Bug Hall, I just remember his name. Wonder what he's up to. I would have known these things if I became the Little Rascals kid, though. <laughs> You're making me think of the Simpsons when they they say that Moe was one of the original Little Rascals. Oh, yeah, yeah. You stole my bit. You stole my bit. <laughs> so also in theaters in August of 94 was Airheads. I don't associate that with the theater either. I associate that Me with either. Comedy Central. And Quiz Show was also in theaters. Sure, they were all lining up in droves for Quiz Show. <laughs> What's Quiz Show about? I can't remember. It's about the Quiz Show scandal of the 50s. What was that? Somebody was cheating and knew the answers to all the questions or something. I wonder if that's what that Simpsons episode is referencing where Grandpa got his house... From the from oh, maybe. a crooked fifties game show, and he says, "I ratted on everybody and got off scot free, or something like that." It might be, yeah. That Probably. that's another one where it's like award season. Quiz show was a big deal, and I guarantee you, most people never think about that movie. I kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. Also, also August ninety four, Natural Born Killers. Oh, so no luck catching them killers, eh? <laughs> oh, you know, I I think it's just the natural born ones, really. You know, those are the ones you get to get because they're born with it. It's just funny how different the movies were back then. Like you say, you don't associate any of these with theatrical runs. I totally know what you're talking about because, like, there's no tentpole franchises in this August lineup. I don't even know if that was a term yet. Like City Slickers from last episode. Was like City Slickers two. That was, the was like part of the summer of sequels and, and remakes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's like it's not what it's not like that anymore. You can't go back because how long? How far are we from ninety four? Thirty years? Twenty years? I can't do math. But anyway, point is, I don't think like thirty years from now, people are gonna look back on like the MCU movies or like a Batman franchise and be like, that doesn't seem like a summer movie. You know, like at least now summer movies seem like summer movies. Yeah. Even though I don't know if Batman's coming out in the summer, but what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Billboard number one songs, August 6th. Stay. I missed you. 
by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories, which I don't know why it's listed as that, because when I clicked the link, it just went to Lisa Loeb. So I don't know who the Nine Stories are. That was the number one song for three weeks in a row. Uh, it said on the Wikipedia page that that was the first ever... Oh, I should have wrote it down. It's I don't remember the exact wording, but it's something like the first ever number one song where the artist did not have a recording contract. Oh. Like, she, it, it, like that was like completely almost independent. And I mean, everyone remembers Lisa Loeb, right? Yeah, she's in the Geico commercials now. They had that episode of Boy Meets World where yep. they had like a very influenced, a very Lisa Loeb influenced character that uh, Eric was was into. Who was his her her inspiration for all her hits? Yeah. And uh, oh, and Andy on The Office says, "I wanted to be my generation's Lisa Loeb." And then August twenty seventh, uh, the she is dethroned by Boys to Men. I'll make love to you is the new number one. Another song everybody knows. And again, I don't really associate those two songs with the same time period. It's nope. weird how like disjointed everything gets when you get older. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I definitely associate that Lisa Loeb song way more with this time period. All right, video games. Nintendo Power's cover, issue 63. Stunt Racer FX. Spin out at super FX speed. I remember renting this game a lot. Because, like, I, I believed in the buzz around the FX chip. Yeah. Like, it was supposed to be, like, the future of video games. And I remember being like, I don't quite get it. Now, as an adult, I understand that the FX chip helped them make more 3D environments yeah. type thing. But as a kid, I just thought it made things more triangly. <laughs> no, that's a good compare, way of putting it. Yeah, if you compare like Stunt Racer or Star Fox with like Super Mario World, the visuals look way better in Super Mario World. So you're like, why is this the future of video games? Like you don't quite grasp the whole 3D environment aspect of it. Yeah, Stunt Race FX we had. It was a very challenging game, and I, I did try it on the online, and it is not held up. I, I just remember, like, the very weird physics of all the racing vehicles. They had, like, different vehicles. There was, like, uh, a sports car. There was, like, a, a monster truck. I don't remember any of the others. But um, they, they had, like, this very, like, springy, bouncy thing going on where, like, the tires would fly out and stuff it was weird and they had these really i think they were bonus levels but they were just infuriating where you were driving a tractor trailer truck and you had to oh, like yeah. go between checkpoints and the physics were all games off games don't have that anymore they used to have bonus stages that had nothing to do with the game like you remember pilot wings they used to have a bonus level in pilot wings where you would be like a penguin jumping into a pool like the <laughs> Like, I, I miss that. I miss bonus stages that have nothing to do with anything. Or like Street Fighter, where you fight a car. Yeah. <laughs> Test your might in Mortal Kombat. Yeah, all that stuff's gone. Nonsense bonus stages. Bring them back. So, TV events. August 14th. Inside the Actors Studio premieres on Bravo. Really? And then, yep. Wow. 94. Who was the first guest? I did not look that up. <laughs> well, why would you bring up it was the first one? 
I don't know. They might have had a different format. Maybe they had multiple guests. Maybe it was just the host talking. I don't know. August 25th. Here's one I do have some notes on. So my so-called life premieres on ABC. And the notes I wrote were, I always thought my so-called life was a Fox show. It very so much I. seems like a... Yeah. And, and I think it's because... Oh, wait. Was Malcolm in the Middle Fox? Yeah. They have, like, the exact same font. Malcolm in the Middle and My So-Called Life both have that, like, scratchy letter thing going for how they write it out. So if anyone cares, Paul Newman was the first person (laughs) ever interviewed. Paul Newman's going to have my legs broke. (laughs) That's That's one of the Simpsons jokes that I didn't get as a kid, but it's still funny just because of how they say it. Yep. I found out later on, I still don't quite get it. It has something to do with how Paul Newman owns a lot of farmland or something, but I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, 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 my so-called life gave us our gave us the, the greatest joker of all time there, uh, Jared Leto. I didn't know he was on that. You didn't? No. Yeah, that was, let me double check this, but I'm pretty sure that was his first acting thing. Oh, well. Jared Leto, My So-Called Life. Right here. He played Jordan, which I think was the guy she had a crush on. This is a show I've never seen, but I know a lot about it. You know those types of shows? I'm right in the same um, boat. I remember ads for it. It's not from the ads. It's because everyone always... I love Daria. You know I'm obsessed with Daria. I could Daria trivia anyone to death. MTV's Daria. And... Everyone used to say that my so-called life was basically basically a live-action Daria, so I would love it. And they were like, "Oh, you should watch my so-called life. You would love it. It's basically Daria, but live-action." And I I just never watched it, but I absorbed a lot of what people were saying about it. Anyway, August twenty-eighth, America's funniest people ends. That was the Dave Coulier version of America's funniest videos. Like it was on right after. Oh, it had the. The jackrabbit on it. Yeah, so it was basically like America's Funniest Videos was people being funny by accident. And America's Funniest People was people would send in tapes of them trying to be funny on purpose. So like people would make sketches or or, or do like play pranks on each other, things like that. That that was more of the difference between the two shows. They really should have just made America's Funniest Videos an hour long. Or they should have just continued the block with America's Funniest Erotic Videos and have John Stamos host that. And then, you know, you've got the three of them all in one night. You're alone on this one. So Saturday Night Live, (laughs) there was no Saturday Night Live because it's August. So what I did was I took a look at Late Night with Conan O'Brien. He was in season two. He had just started out. And, I mean, Conan O'Brien, I was thinking about this the other day, might have had the best life ever. <laughs> like, if you could trade lives with someone, think about it. He, I don't remember which order this is in, so I might be mixing them, but he wrote on The Simpsons, I think, first, right? Wrote, like, on the bet. No, I think Saturday Night Live first. So we get to write on Saturday Night Live right when, like, some of the coolest Saturday Night Live stars were there, like Phil Hartman and Dana Carvey and all those people get to write at Saturday Night Live then. 
Then he goes from Saturday Night Live to The Simpsons, writes for The Simpsons during their golden era, writes like season four and five, like right in the heart of their best seasons. Then he gets his own late night show. <laughs> and I was I was just watching like he's got like these classic Conan ske- sketches you can see on YouTube now. Yeah. I watched one the other day where he and Andy Richter did a, a bit where they drove an ice cream truck for a day. And I'm like, this guy has got the best life that has ever been lived. <laughs> he's met every celebrity. He's met every rock star. He's he's met. He's written on all the best shows. He's hosted some of the best award shows. Like, geez, Louise. And now he's taking he's taken over our medium. He's got one of the best podcasts out there. What what can he do? Conan O'Brien, in the month that this comic book came out, uh, I wrote down the musical guests that stood out to me was August 24th was Bare Naked Ladies, and then August 25th was Weezer. That was a good week. Nice. And some of the guests he had that month were David Allen Greer, Adam West, and Zsa Gabor. I didn't think she would be still relevant by that point, but okay. I always mix her up with Liz Taylor, and I have to, like, remind myself that they're not the same person. No, Liz Taylor they're... was more scandalous. Zsa Zsa Gabor yeah, but they're has from, a like, more... the same film era. Yeah, but Zsa Zsa Gabor right? has a more fun name to say. That's true. That's and she's true. in a Naked Gun movie. That is true. I haven't rewatched those as an adult either. I don't know if they hold up. I'm sure there's a lot of problematic jokes in them. The ring came off my pudding can. Thank you, Conan. so let's talk about these covers or this cover i should say there's no that's what we're gonna have to say when we get to idw we're gonna have to talk about all the alternate covers too because every issue has yeah uh, of the coordinate what i blanking on that word alternate uh yeah alternate covers variant cover variant variant that's the word i'm looking for anyway this cover has no variant and it's a pretty cool cover it's like very star wars you could swap the Ninja Turtle logo out for a, and put a Star Wars logo in there, and people would totally believe this was a Star Wars comic. I think this is the best cover of Volume 2 so far. I like the one I, I mentioned before, but I would put this as a second. I agree. So the cover, it's the robot that we've been talking about for a few episodes now that came out of the Hudson River there. Close up on the face and in all the little scope robot it's like spider eyes he's got like a bunch of eyes you can see uh april o'neill's reflection in the eyes and he's got a big old needle that's going shaking (laughs) (laughs) and they gave me the shot this is probably the most consistent run of covers in a while too yeah all the all the covers this volume are great Good job, AC Farley. So as we go into the issue, there's a man trying to use a payphone, and he's telling someone on the other end he's got urgent, important news, and he needs to share it. And then the booth is suddenly, um, <laughs> well, he doesn't get to finish his phone call. Let's <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> this guy is more dead than any comic book character I've ever seen die. <laughs> Like it is just riddled with bullets. He's, and, he's and, the and rare, he's rare instance of he's not coming back 
down the line for the event book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we then see the robot that we know as Baxter. Baxter bot. Yeah, Baxter bot. He picks up the, the book that this guy was, was had in his hand while he was calling. And it's, a, it's like a phone book, but it's all bloody now because he got all shot up. I really like this and, moment because it just screams Terminator. Because there is a moment in the first Terminator where the guy's using the phone booth and the Terminator kind of like gets him out of the way and then he starts manually calling Sarah Connors. So I, I like that. Oh, I was wrong. The guy wasn't holding the phone book. I forgot that they used to do this. In the pay phone, it's chained. there was a phone book there, like in yeah. Back to the Future. Yeah, it's chained <laughs> to it. Yeah, chained to it. So he picks the, that's the phone book he picks up. And I love that, like you said, this is where the story goes, is this is how he tracks, spoiler alert, It's I mean, you could tell from the cover, uh, it's April O'Neil he's looking for. And, like, that's how he finds her, is just on the, a public street payphone, there's a phone book, and he's like, after all these years, all my planning, I've come back for you. <laughs> What, like, dude, she was right there in the phone book. What really adds to it, too, is that he took the time to transplant his brain into this advanced robotic body. But in order to track down his ch- target, he still has to manually flip through a book. <laughs> oh, yeah, that really shows you how different this time period is. Like, he didn't download all of He's not like Ultron, where he downloads all the internet into himself. There is no internet. He, yeah. he, the robot has to read a phone book. And I, I <laughs> That's guess... hilarious. I guess the him killing that guy is just to show how evil and determined he is. Yeah, because we never even find out who that guy is, <laughs> even though that guy had important, urgent news. So at the Jones apartment, Raphael and Michelangelo are playing video games, and April is preparing to go out shopping, uh, basically asking if everyone needs anything from the grocery store. And I before give she leaves, April Neal so much credit that she doesn't lose it because everyone gives her a different list. She's spending <laughs> hundreds upon hundreds of dollars on groceries. For turtles that shouldn't even be living in the apartment anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, she tells Casey to put Shadow down for a nap uh, and gets in her car. She starts driving. There's like a. This shows you when we talked about how not a lot happens in these issues, there's two full pages, or a page and a half, I should say, of just April getting in her car, backing out of a parking space driving down the road <laughs> that is two and a, that is a page and a half and then a hand comes up from a sewer grate and flips the car a lot of sound effects for you here sean i know oh, you love yeah. sound effects yeah this this is by far my favorite part in volume two at the moment love the it's inf- very image comics like yep. i keep saying yep. this volume you can see how they end up in image especially the so the robot has like a needle that comes out of one of his fingers. That was the Shaking that was yep. on the cover. Shaking. And and he pokes April with it. And it's very unsettling. I'm trying to think. It, it, it's kind of like Lady Deathstrike from X2, too. Now that I yeah, think of it. yeah, it's similar to that. But I love this entire moment of uh, Baxter attacking April's car. 
Uh, it still has that doomsday vibe to it for me, which really works. Like, it just adds something to it. And the fact that he's just using the little needle makes it scarier because... Yeah, because you want... At first, you think he's, like, injecting her with a virus or something. You don't know what the plan is. Right. And he could easily have just, you know, crushed her car into a cube with her in it or... I just, mean, we saw how exploded that phone right, booth became. Right, he like could have just Gatling gunned that out. <laughs> right, so I think they do an awesome job of conveying that this is really about revenge for him, and mm-hmm. it's not just a simple, well, I'm going to go kill her, and I guess I'll walk back through the ocean to wherever and figure it out as I go. It's very violent, too. Like, he rips the door. The car is flipped over, and he rips the door off the car. It's really showing that Terminator, like, unstoppable monster aspect. And then he hears police sirens, which apparently he's afraid of, even though he could kill all these cops. Because he disappears for some reason. And uh, Casey hears the same sirens and heads down the street and looks out the window. We also see in this panel, just side note. Uh, Shadow is growing up. Shadow is standing on her own. She's not a little baby anymore. So we see that she's getting a little older. She's toddler stage, I think that is, when they can kind of toddle around. Telling all her stuffed animals about the turtles that are her uncles. So Casey hears the sirens. He heads down the street and uh, he sees April. He rushes out. Leonardo asks what's going on. Michelangelo tells him that he sees some so the turtles are still back up in the apartment yep. and they're like what's going on michelangelo's like I, I, something spooked casey i don't know and that's all they can kind of see is like a terrified casey from where they are they don't know what happened they didn't see the giant robot monster the police start interviewing april and and setting up their crime scene uh leonardo is- volunteers to watch shadow while mike and raf go check out what's going on which i thought was very, very leadery of him. Uh, see, I mean, that, either way, I, I could also see him being like, Mikey, you stay with Shadow. That actually seems more of what the IDW would have done. Yeah. It's like, it. this is like a Ninja Turtle role-playing game. Like, which turtle stays with Shadow while the other turtles go out? So they head through the, the, the sewer there and find that Casey and April are, they notice where Baxter had broken through. So the turtles are starting to put things together. This whole uh, caved-in sewer panel. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, the very, They're trying to stay like out of sight from the cops. They're down below. The very subtle crime scene that the police have going now. <laughs> I like how nonchalant they are about it. There's a crater in the middle of the street <laughs> in New York, and they're like, eh, it's a crime scene. Which is what should have happened for uh, the turtle for the giant turtle from last issue. Yeah. So April gives her statement to the cops and uh, the cops not believing her, obviously, because her story is that she was driving along and a giant robot flipped her car and then stabbed her with a needle and ran away. So obviously they're not going to believe that. And another cop comes out and says that, hey, man, all the eyewitnesses are corroborating her story. Like they they all say in the same thing, so either they're all lying, <laughs> or uh, or she's telling the truth. Then two DARPA agents approach mm-hmm. the officer, and they tell him they're taking over questioning. They ask April the same questions, basically. <laughs> uh, Casey tells them to buzz off. You know she's 
been through a lot. Leave her alone. The DARPA agents return to their car and discuss, basically, should we monitor them or not and find out what this giant robot thing was all about. And then the issue goes to Mike and Raph, who are taken off down the sewer tunnels as one of the officers is preparing to kind of go into the hole to investigate it. So they're like, oh, we can't stay here. And they start talking about, you know, what this attacking robot could have been. And they come across a, a cave-in in their path in the sewer. So now now all of a sudden the sewer is all cave-ins. <laughs> yeah. And they're wondering what's on the other side, which as a reader, we can see Baxter's on the other side. But they do not see that. Yeah, you get one really weird moment of Raph drinking hydraulic fluid to, like, follow the trail so that just made me wonder how often is he drinking hydraulic fluid to know that's what it is and Mike, Mikey it's part has... of his ninja training oh split yeah hydraulic fluid day Mikey has a brief moment of being a geologist by analyzing how the rocks fell so... <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of he's stuck getting out. his dexter on it stuck out a little to me but it's start. That's really starting to take off. Like they're starting to get the story going. Things are kicking into gear. So uh, I went with a four again because I, I I enjoyed this as much as the last issue. It's got that same kind of pacing and momentum. I went a little higher. I wrote four point two, but basically the same score. You know, it's it's very action packed. It felt like okay, things are finally going here. It's not the the mutants in the sewer type of action though where yeah. I kind of I mean that's kind of me pulling in my knowledge of the volume as a whole knowing that that story goes nowhere so like I don't re- I'm not really interested in it when it happens but this is a story I know leads us to where basically the rest of the volume goes so I'm, I'm interested in this and I think the subtle way they throw in the new government agents works very well because I mean they could have very easily had that be foot related and they don't do that and no, this volume's very much like the Turtles versus secret government organization type thing. Like, it's, it's starting to introduce that aspect to the franchise, which, which is, is nice. It's yeah. a nice change of pace of what we've seen so far. It's either been Foot Clan, Aliens, or or other dimensional magic. Yeah, I think my only gripe right now at Volume 2 is the lack of Splinter. I don't know. I feel like all of Volume 1, he was kind of... After we we talked about how his mission was kind of over at a certain point, and it was like he had nothing to do, but he gets a lot to do when we get to IDW. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, he's like the main focus of the book. So I figured we could do some toy figure facts. It's been a long time since we did that. I wish there was a Baxter Bot figure. It would be cool, and that is the type of thing I was looking for, to try to find a toy that related to this issue. And what I came up with was Robotic Bebop. The metallic maniac with the ugly mug. (laughs) It's like basically like a silver Bebop uh, figure. They did... They did a few of these. They did. I'll read the assortment first. I usually read it last, but um, he was in the 1993 basic figures. He was with Mona Lisa, Scratch, <laughs> that that figure that everybody wants, uh, Sandstorm, and then there was Robotic Bebop, obviously Robotic Rocksteady, Hot Spot, and Half Court. And I went with Robotic 
uh, Bebop just because I thought he looked a little bit cooler than Robotic Rocksteady. Robotic Rocksteady kind of had like Amazing Spider-Man 2 Rhino vibes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So I mean, still, still a better looking Rhino, but yes. Bebop's accessories are a mechanical mutant claw. He's got laser lugger flamethrower combo and a stained steel cutter. Description. Frustrated by the constant incompetence of regular old Bebop, Shredder developed a robotic version of the winesome warthog and appropriately dubbed him Robotic Bebop. Now this colossal can of nuts and bolts is a mechanized menacing monster, and the turtles are tired already of contending with this humorous hunk of junk. But Robotic Bebop is indeed a contender. I could have been a contender. Uh, suited up with the finest grade titanium and equipment. So he, w- if this was a Marvel character, he'd be made out of adamantium. Or, or vibranium, vibranium yeah. depending on which which they wanted to use that week. So, and equipped with atypical fiendish weaponry, the turtles best beware and have a care. The stained steel cutter means black and blue business, and the laser lugger flamethrower combo is so much weapon, it shoots everything but the kitchen sink. That sounds like a Chandler Bing line. Chandler Bing came in for punch up on this. <laughs> Could it be more weapon? <laughs> and when Robotic Bebop wants to just have fun with his turtle prey, he'll get him in the clutches of his menacing mechanical mutant claw and tickle away. <laughs> that doesn't seem so scary. Turtles take cover. It's Robotic Bebop. He's metal. He meddles, and he's mental. Totally. And then it says, uh, so these are the things that never make sense, the the vital robotistics. Oh, I can't wait. Favorite oil, turtle weight? What does that even mean? Please tweet me if you know what the heck that's supposed to mean. Favorite oil, so he's a robot, okay, like oil can, like, like Wizard of Oz, okay, oil can. Turtle weight. Is that like a type of oil? I don't know. Kai's low on turtle weight there. I think that's your problem. And then it says favorite fuel, strained turtle brains. I'm going to look this oil thing up. Just do a quick Google. I don't know anything this Google search is trying to tell me. (laughs) But it does not. It doesn't look like turtle weight is a type of oil. So I have no idea. It did correct it and change it into two words. Which on the action figure, it's one one word, turtle weight, and it turned it into turtle weight. But there's no turtle weight oil. I got no idea. Please email us. Please tweet <laughs> at us. I really want to know what this is trying to say here. Do you get it? I don't get it at all. But I'm looking at what the figure. What is turtle weight? I'm trying to figure out why the mohawk is like one of the only things that's not metallic. Because it's science, Sean. Hair doesn't metallicize. Oh. I'm just kind of in awe of the pricing on him, but we'll get there. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's a super expensive one because he's in the same batch as Scratch. And we know the only reason Scratch is expensive is because he's rare. And he's rare because he came out late in the figure's life and nobody wanted him. Probably crazy price like Scratch. It's probably like 200 bucks. So in the package, he's 60 What? Uh, hold on. 
Somebody's selling him pre-owned loose with all the accessories for 140. You got to start looking at the closed, uh, the closed auctions. See what they actually ended up, you know, closing out at. Oh, here we go. Because the 60 might just be because it hasn't got enough bids yet. Brand new in package, five hundred dollars. <laughs> All right, see, <laughs> I knew it had to be ex- like over a couple of hundred. Yeah, he he seems to. It depends on his packaging. I gotta say, it's getting really depressing. What eBay has done, not just eBay, but the internet in general, has done to collecting things. Because, like, you can't just, like, on an impulse, buy something, buy a collection, and, like, start collecting stuff anymore. Like, like the other day I had this thought where I wanted to get the original Ghostbusters comic books. Because I yeah. have the full run that IDW did, but there were... There were the real Ghostbusters comics before then, and I, and I went looking on eBay, and it's like 50, 60 bucks to get a lot of those, and I remember a time where I feel like I could have gone on eBay and spent 20 bucks and got probably the full run. No, I know exactly what you mean, because somebody on here is selling just the knife and the glove on their own for 60 bucks. Yeah, it's a shame what they, like, you can't just um, get cheap comics anymore. Like, you can't, there's no run of anything where you can get a complete run without running into an issue somewhere along the line that's at least, like, a $50 book. Yeah. Because of some speculator thing. Yep. Or, like, video games, how you can't buy, like, I, I told you I was playing the Dragon Quest, Dragon oh, yeah, Warrior yeah, yeah, yeah. games, and, like, then once you get to Dragon Warrior 4... You have to play it on your cell phone because the only other way to play it is to spend like a hundred bucks on a cartridge. Right. Which is in Japanese, right? No, 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 no. That It's in English. It's just it rare. It is in English. Okay. But like, I, I feel like even though this stuff is rare, it wasn't always this expensive. I can't tell if this is me being an old man and being like, oh, things are too expensive these days. Or if things really were easier to collect over the internet like 15 years ago and and they're not anymore. I mean, I know I've heard that the pandemic drove prices up because when people were locked in the house, they like needed something to do and they would start collecting things. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it I feel like the problem's been going longer than that. Comic prices are insane. Collecting anything is insane. Like even like Nintendo Amiibos. Oh the, yeah. Like people go nuts for those. You can't get a full set of anything. There's people on the internet ruining it. Every time. With the Amiibos, my brother-in-law has almost all of them, but there's six Japan-only Monster Hunter ones he's been trying to get, and they go for, like, 200 apiece. And you know what I also hate is I'm just trying to get the Zelda ones, and, like, any, every time I see, like, a rare one that's, like, expensive, there'll always be someone who's selling these things where they're like, oh, just buy this little card. And your controller will read it like it's an amiibo. I'll sell you this for five bucks. And it's like, obviously, I want the figure. I don't want right. the thing that it does. I want the figure. <laughs> I don't want your stupid little card. Did you uh, get the Skyward Sword one? No. I'll get no. it at some point. I don't think that's going to be crazy money. Like, I don't think that's going to like someday be like a $500 figure or anything. I mean, I think it's kind of nutty what they get for the original Smash Brothers amiibos that are just the characters. Like, 
They're yeah. not like specific game versions or anything. I don't know. Crazy madness. So stop collecting things, kids. Just get everything digitally <laughs> because <laughs> it's too much money. Honestly, that's part of why I started buying so many comics digitally now. Like I still pick up books physically, but it's mostly because of like completed runs that I want to keep going. Like yeah. obviously I've got the full Ninja Turtle run. I want to keep picking up those books because I don't want to just stop at a certain point. Right. Um and various other like Spider-Man and stuff. But if there's something like if I learn about like a new big storyline that I want to look into, I'm going to read it digitally. <laughs> I'm not going to spend the money uh, trying to track down a trade that's out of print because people are ruining how you collect things and charging too much for it online. No, I'm crazy. I still get the trades, but I kind of like continuously check when they're releasing. So I get them as soon as they come out. That's the thing you got to do now with collectibles. You have to know what you want before it comes out. Otherwise, you're paying scalper prices. Yeah, like, this is uh, turning into a very depressing episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, It's probably, you know what it is? Let me turn it to happiness. It's because I love collecting so much. I love my comic book collection. I love my, like, I have almost a full Nintendo 64 run that I'm collecting. Uh, my Amiibos. I love collecting things. There's just something so nice about flipping through it all. Thank everybody for listening. I think that's all the, the talk we have this week for Ninja Turtle Comics. Next week we got issue 7. We're over halfway through the run, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's 13 issues, right? Yeah. 13. So this is the halfway point. In between issues 6 and 7. Six, 6.5 is the halfway point. So, so your gap between listening to this episode and that one, that's your halfway point, and you can do whatever you want with it. Exhausted from your last shouting match with a total stranger online about some pointless and ultimately meaningless facet of a video game? The art of conversation is dying. Killed by a million faceless warriors just trying to get their dunks in. Rather than enable our nobler social behaviors, social media has created new wastelands where real conversation is almost impossible. This is why we have podcasts like MageCast, the weekly podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. I'm the Well-Read Mage, and I feature a different game and a different guest each episode with a focus on exploring intrinsic qualities and extrinsic contexts. It's a podcast about elevating the conversation in a content format that actually has a chance. So forget responding to the rando who called you a scrub and join the real conversation. MageCast, the community-driven podcast for conversationalists, is available everywhere that podcasts are enjoyed. Okay, and that brings us to the halfway point for Volume 2. But keep in mind, we are not stopping at Volume 2 this season. We actually have enough episodes where we're going to do all of Volume 2 and Volume 3, so it's by no means the halfway point for the Ninja Turtle Nerd season, just the halfway point for our coverage of Volume 2. So we're halfway there. In Turtle-related news for this week, if you weren't aware, the rise of the TMNT movie has dropped on Netflix. And people seem to be digging it. I've seen almost nothing but praise for it from all of the fellow Twitter followers that wanted to talk about it. I'm actually considering doing a full series rewatch after I liked it so much. And also in Ninja Turtle news, we got a title drop and a release date for the Seth Rogen-produced Ninja Turtles movie. It's coming out next year, August 4th of 2023, and the title is going to be Mutant Mayhem. And that title is really cool to me because it implies, 
I mean, we know nothing about the movie yet except for some concept art we've gotten. But to me, especially with the Technodrome being in that concept art, it implies that there's going to be more mutants other than the Turtles. I think this means that we're almost definitely going to see Bebop and Rocksteady in this movie. If not, maybe Baxter Stockman as the fly. Who knows? It's going to be mutant mayhem. There's going to be lots of mutant stuff going on. So I can't wait until we start getting more news on that. And the last thing I'd just like to bring up is that we have officially started doing our bonus episodes for our Patreon subscribers. So if you want to hear us one more time each week, I think we're going to continue to upload those on Fridays. So you'll get us on Monday and Friday if you subscribe for just $1 a month. Just $1. You're not going to miss that dollar. Uh, You are eligible to hear our bonus episode that we are dropping every single week. It's called Nerd Therapy. It's where Sean and I just talk about everything that's going on in nerd culture, mostly that's not Ninja Turtle related because we do that here on this show. But yeah, it's all video games, comic books, movies, TV shows, music, anything that happens to be on our mind that week. So it's it's more nerd content if you're looking for it. And for just a dollar a month, you can get access through Patreon to that bonus episode or those bonus episodes. They come out every week. And I think that is it. So thank everybody for listening. Thank all our Patreon supporters for supporting us. And thank you if you left us a review. Thank you if you interacted with us at all on Twitter this week. Thank you if you supported this podcast by doing anything, even just listening to it. We we just really love that this podcast is growing and that people are finding it and people are loving it. So we just hope that it keeps on going and going and going. So thank you guys very much. And we will be back next week to be over the hump and more than halfway done with volume two. See you then. The Ninja Turtle Nerds is a fan-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash tmntnerds. If you'd like to see images of the comics we discussed in this episode, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at tmntnerds. Have a question or comment for us? You can email us at tmntnerds at gmail.com. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.